Okay, welcome back. Looks like we're live. All right, so we've got a bit of a round table. This was supposed to be on spaces before Devin nearly got completely wiped out and has just kind of came back around and made it. So glad he's still here. Um, but we've got Devin from Gamma Swap and Jim from Catalyst. Uh, gents, how are we both doing? Good. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And yeah, still live somehow. So yeah, <laughs> glad to be here and uh, still still contributing to, to crypto despite... Um, <laughs> Yeah, a crazy bout with COVID. It's 2023 and COVID still exists, so that's really fun. It's a linger, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we haven't really missed much, I suppose. It's been like the most boring market of all time, particularly someone who's like looking to speculate on stuff. So um, maybe you got it at the right time. Uh, I don't know how you guys are, if you kind of speculate on the markets whatsoever, but it's been pretty, pretty terrible from that perspective. <laughs> yeah, we, we had our trading competition, actually um this month it's about to end and so yeah it was super low volatility everyone was borrowing liquidity and a lot of the the borrowers um because the utilization was so high and the volatility was so low weren't profiting so like some of the people in our competition that did the best were just providing liquidity but it was, it was pretty cool like to see some of the supply APYs, like mm. ETH USCC we had I mean it's a test set but it was incentivized so people should be trying to to profit um we had like 300 million in tvl on that and at times like 80 to 100 percent supply apy so i think things are going to get interesting but uh yeah we want to make sure borrowers are profiting so one thing we're going to be doing is probably like changing the factor on different pools because you know some altcoin for example like pepe that's going to have a much higher volatility than something like eth especially like right now. So um, yeah, some good learnings from the competition for sure. So it was kind of interesting to see during this period of like insanely low volatility. I think the VIX was close to like an all-time low, which is yeah. crazy. It's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? I suppose with what you just touched on with Pepe, what what was kind of going through the kind of, what was going around the Gamasop camp during how ridiculous that kind of span of the market was and what were what would have been like a perfect scenario for you guys? Like how could, how could people have benefited from that? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I think um, the, the interesting thing about those coins is that they have, they'll have like, you know, they'll be on Uni V2 and then as the market matures, they'll usually go on like Uni V3 as well, but um, they'll have super low liquidity, like 500 K maybe 10 million so that the coin, yeah, can, can be more volatile that yeah, like less buy pressure will lead to more volatility. So <clears throat> it's definitely something, I think the sweet spot we've kind of, you know, looked at just from some general like modeling is a few hundred K at least in liquidity. But the thing is, is that, yeah, that, that borrow because of how little liquidity is there, there's not going to be able to be that many borrowers. So definitely people can borrow. It's just the cost of borrowing is going to be pretty high especially if the, the demand's high. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out when some of these projects, you know, uh, if they want to add some liquidity to, to GammaSwap, um, you know, to either, like, hedge their, their protocol on liquidity or, you know, give some retail traders the ability to, to trade perps on, like, some of these new projects. Um, yeah, it's going to be a function how many, how much people can trade perps is also going to be a function of how much, you know, liquidity they're, they're going to want to put in the pools. 
Mm-hmm. All right, that's sweet. Um, so if anyone's coming and hasn't listened to the first episode we did with Gre- um did with Devin, you can go back and do that. But we're gonna just bounce some similar sort of questions because there's quite a lot of uh synergy and overlap between Camera Swap and Catalyst, in my opinion. But I think first, um, let's just do a bit of a bit of background. So, Jim, do you want to kind of fill us in how you kind of got up to this this point in this this point in time and you kind of entrance into the into the crypto markets and then Devin we can just move on to you and we can just kind of recap that briefly as well yeah happy to um and and um on the Pepe piece just just quickly um yeah kind of a fascinating phenomenon to see and uh I think like phenomena like Pepe is kind of uh a part of the vision that we're that we have at Catalyst and, and how we want to enable that from a omni-chain slash you know multi-chain perspective um, but yeah, to, to answer your question, um, how, how did I get here? Uh, kind of a random journey. Um, I found out about Bitcoin, um, in like 2013, um, and, uh, <clears throat> was kind of just like tangentially involved in, in kind of the, the technology and the discussions on Reddit. Um, and then I actually joined, uh, I joined crypto full-time in 2017. Um, I was first a, a crypto researcher. Um, at a at a consulting firm, and then uh, ultimately um, decided to build full time, be an operator at Ripple uh, in 2018, and uh, was there for uh, a couple of years uh, up until DeFi summer. And then I kind of saw the the power of, of smart contracts and 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 the power of composability and, and money Legos with DeFi. Uh, and so I left uh, and actually uh, went to Ethereum um, and did kind of a, a short dabble in NFTs, uh, kind of before it's, it's nas- like kind of before it's huge explosion. Um, so not really good at timing that, but, uh, did <laughs> kind of participate in, in that somewhat. Um, and then ultimately ended up at Aave, uh, in 2021, um, to lead, uh, new products and experiments there. And I was there for, uh, the past year and a half. Um, building a lot of really interesting primitives as it pertains to, you know, identity primitives and under collateralized lending and uh, zero knowledge proofs and, of course, interoperability stuff. Uh, and then when I left, um, you know, the end of 2021, I decided to start my own venture and kind of combine all the stuff that I was doing in my uh, six years in crypto. Uh, and, I, and I built Catalyst, which is or, or I am building Catalyst with uh, with my co-founder, Alexander. Um and Catalyst is basically like a, it's a universal liquidity layer uh, that aggregates liquidity um, across, you know, all chains. And we think the, the future is going to be millions of chains, millions of rollups, what have you. And uh, we want to kind of aggregate and share that liquidity uh, permissionlessly between all the different layers. Nice. I love that. So yeah, Devin, um, I know we covered it in the, in the, in the first piece, but um, if anyone hasn't seen that one, you just kind of fill us in about a... Uh, how Jim said, how, how the hell did you get here? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm happy to do that. I also wanted to follow up on what Jim was saying. So yeah, I think Jim is a DeFi OG, which is, which is awesome. And I also think, uh, yeah, Gamma Swap, you know, we love AMMs. And I think it, it's not something I had ever thought about before, but it, it's an approach that really makes sense for cross-chain liquidity because, yeah, I mean, bridges, if you break it down, at least the current implementations, uh, are essentially like oracles or centralized exchanges where you're kind of reliant on them for the price, but then they also have basically these permission pools uh, like a centralized exchange and are almost 
custodying your assets. So it's not really, you know, the like often these first implementations are not the ideal, but I think in a lot of ways, uh, having that much trust can can make, yeah, this interoperability difficult. And uh, I think that's something that's really cool. AMMs, you know, we, they don't require oracles, so you can support any type of, of asset and they're also permissionless and yeah, just controlled by the smart contract. So I think it's a really cool, you know, uh, implementation for cross-chain liquidity and something, yeah, we, we at Gamaswap have, have found really interesting. But um, a little bit about me, my background is a little bit more DGEN. I actually found <laughs> out about crypto first with Bitcoin and then found out a little bit about like the Silk Road and I just used it. Uh, I thought it was really cool that um, there's this market uh, it worked well, just a bunch of people who don't know each other, completely decentralized. Um, but in terms of like Bitcoin, I guess I was a little bit more skeptical of its real world use cases, I guess, just because I felt like um, it, it would be so hard to get full time adoption. What really, I think, got me interested more on the technical side of crypto was when Ethereum came out, <coughs> because I saw just how the, the potential of having basically like any type of application that exists, but having everyone that uses it, uh, owning like basically part of that application, really cool. There weren't re really many implementations initially, but I, yeah, I thought Ethereum was really exciting. And so started kind of looking into it more than that was around, um, 2016, 2017. And then, yeah, I didn't go full-time into crypto until, about uh, 2020, 2021. So after graduating, uh, went into to SaaS uh, in, in San Francisco, essentially worked for a few SaaS startups. And then just start, especially during COVID, I started spending more and more time in crypto and just felt like I was missing out. I didn't go into it full time. I thought the growth of the industry was, you know, much more exciting than software. So uh, instead of just kind of being a passive investor and researcher, went full-time into to trading and uh, <laughs> looking at different projects. Working, I was working on a couple projects, um, more as like an advisor, and then uh, joined Figment full-time. They do a lot of the institutional uh, staking um, for basically like validators. And I was helping judge a uh, hackathon for Figment, uh, activate X wormhole in Miami last year uh, in May. And that's how I met the GammaSwap team. I thought they were what they were doing is really cool. So um, ended up giving them their bounty. Wanted to join as uh, an investor, an angel. And then the more I learned about what they were building, you know, the the more excited I got. So actually ended up joining full time essentially right after that. So that was um, that was about June of 2022. And yeah, now now we're kind of here, uh, coming up on. Yeah, our official mainnet launch in a month or two. We've been taking our time just because, uh, yeah, it's a it's a new type of protocol, and we wanted to make sure the smart contracts were fully, you know, battle tested, uh, went through multiple rounds of audits, and then also actually testing, you know, some of our theories on testnet with a trading competition. Awesome. So, what um, I suppose is a a question that definitely touched upon it there a little bit. So, so kind of what stage of what stage of development are both, both of you guys at now, Jim? I don't know if you want to kind of fill us in about where you've kind of been building up to now, like what's kind of on the short-term horizon, I suppose, and 
um, yeah, just the general state of where you guys are at. And then Devin, I suppose you can kind of just top us up from when we've last, last spoke, um, cause we've been seeing an awful lot of developments on your end, but love to kind of hear the current state of, of play of both, both the, uh, protocols effectively. Yeah. So, um, I think like catalyst is best thought of as kind of like a DeFi protocol, but also somewhat of like an infrastructure product. Um, and so, um, it's, it's DeFi because it's basically like an AMM, right? It's like a aggregator. Of, sorry. It's, it's like a liquidity protocol. Um, and, and, but it's also infra in the sense that we're building tooling for kind of these roll-up builders in order to have catalyst be, uh, kind of launched uh, at the initiation of a lot of these rollups, and so if you're launching like a, you know, modular chain on on Polygon or or, or on on OP Stack, um, you know, Catalyst will kind of come, you know, uh, deployed at uh, the configuration of this rollup, and so kind of like two different pieces. Um, so like you know, you can kind of think of the first piece as like stuff that we, as like the the organizing team and then eventually the the DAO um, kind of launches these these um, deployments of catalysts into major chains like Ethereum and, and Cosmos Hub um, and, and Polygon. And then the latter half is more like a self-serve option for the new wave of roll-up builders that we're going to see, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so the first piece is pretty mature. Um, so we're actually going to be in testnet uh, next month, um, so in July. Um, and we're, we, we plan on being in mainnet, uh, sometime in, in the fall as well. So maybe like an October date. Um, the second piece is, is still more nascent, um, but it is underway. So we probably anticipate that having a bit of a lag. So maybe testnet will be available for that, um, call it sometime in the fall and then, uh, it'll be in production, um, next year, maybe like Q1. So that's kind of like the, the, the status for us. Um, and that's for like the V1 of the protocol. So, uh, you know, few bells and whistles are, are, are not going to be there, but uh, the core offering of like permissionless, you know, liquidity at launch that, you know, is able to have automatic chain connections and swapping assets between different uh, chains permissionlessly like that is that's going to be, you know, the core feature of, of V1. And then uh, V2 will have uh, more kind of like capital efficiency gains and, and a number of other things. Mm-hmm. Was, was the kind of, with the underlying kind of infrastructure part, was was it always going to be the AMM that you guys kind of built on top to showcase it, or was there any kind of additional thoughts around it? And could there potentially be, I don't know if it's in-house or someone else com comes around and builds on top of it, but would there be any kind of room for, I don't know, money markets or insert XYZ product there? Um, but was it the AMM you, you guys wanted to tackle first? Yeah, it's it's mainly the the liquidity first, right? As like a foundation, mm -hmm. and then I know we were kind of alluding to composability. Um, like we do want this to be kind of a base liquidity um, like resource for a number of other applications to tap into, right? So if it if it is some sort of money market account or or yield bearing account or um, you know, if there's a liquid staking component to it, or if there's a lending component to it, or if there's a perp slash derivative component to it, that is, uh, you know, it, it's something that we can explore in the future. And we, we hope to cultivate an ecosystem of, of, of builders that are going to be leveraging um, Catalyst essentially for that, like, cross-chain liquidity capability. Hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. So, Devin, where are you guys at then? Um, seeing an awful lot of stuff on online, hearing a lot of great feedback from inside of our community about people using it as well. Um, love to get an update on that. Yeah, no, thank you. That's awesome. We've been definitely getting a lot of community feedback and and implementing it. Um, I think, yeah, with a, a new type of product, the hardest thing is getting people to kind of understand how it works. So. We just released a PL calculator for borrowers. Uh, I think that's been pretty helpful and um, going to be adding some more details to that calculator. And um, yeah, also some more details just generally on PL uh, for LPs um, and borrowers. So yeah, I think um, the, the test that went well, a lot of uh, what we expected, the difference between maybe like uh, the APYs for. Um, LPs in our platform versus like the B2 AMMs was pretty in line. Uh, the low volatility, I think, w was good for us because uh, it, it kind of, yeah, it kind of tested uh, what was kind of the cap during that low volatility of where kind of these APY ranges could be and um, gave us some good ideas too on how we can basically, you know, incentivize different parts. You know, maybe during low volatility periods, we'll have more token incentives for borrowers and then in high volatility periods uh we'll have more token incentives for the lps to to adjust the risk uh accordingly so that was a that was a good learning experience as well but yeah we're we're pretty much ready uh we have like one small smart contract change in terms of um basically modifying the the collateral uh as the loan is opened uh that we're getting audited right now and then some UI things. So we just pushed our subgraph. So there, it's going to make a lot of basically these um, this indexing that we'll have in the UI to give people analytics easier. So there's kind of some bare bones, bare bones things that the community has requested that we want to implement before we launch. But yeah, we've kind of always kept it, you know, MVP, just because I think we've had assumptions, and sometimes those are right, and sometimes <laughs> those are wrong. So like our alpha test net, for example, was super you know, advanced, uh, we were giving like the IV, the strike price, basically people would change the collateral and that would change the curve of the, the impermanent gain. And we just realized that was um, probably uh, not super retail friendly. And yeah, we're of the opinion that DeFi is mostly for retail uh, rather than institution. So we realized we needed to do complete UI overhaul. And I think now it's a lot more simple and less intimidating. I think there's a lot from that alpha version though that we'll have that will basically repurpose into like an advanced version. So I think mm -hmm. um, the best example is maybe like Pendle where there's like the simple yeah, version and the advanced version. Um, we're gonna start with the simple version and then implement an advanced version later. But I think we should be ready uh, safely to launch uh, like end of July um, conservatively. And then, um, yeah, that would be our V1. So this basically way to borrow liquidity from other AMMs. Um, we think, you know, that AMMs are like options markets and that uh, maybe a, a potential more scalable way uh, to attract more TBL to some AMMs would actually have feedless swaps. And instead, the LPs would be incentivized by people buying volatility. So that's what's going to be essentially our V2. So we have an idea for that. It's going to be something probably like Curve V2 where LPs aren't necessarily selecting different ranges. And instead the algorithm would concentrate liquidity 
four LPs and then borrowers could get up to a hundred X leverage on volatile assets. And then maybe up to a thousand X on the stables, similar to like a Euro dollar future market. So that's what we're going to be working on next. And then hopefully, you know, if we track liquidity, um, other projects will maybe want to build vaults on top of us. Like we've seen with GLP (laughs) to hedge IL for, for LPs or maybe build, um, other structured products. Hmm. You kind of led me on to my next question, which is always a good sign, but was there, has there been anything kind of during this building phase that you guys, you know, you thought it was going to play out in one particular way and it just, it's some things came out and maybe pleasantly surprised you or completely threw you off. Is, it, is there anything that's kind of, that springs to mind with, when you kind of think about surprises while you've been building? Yeah, I think, um, this might have been maybe potentially uh, because some people, you know, were just coming into the trading competition and trying it out. But I think we were surprised with how high the supply PYs were given mm-hmm. low volatility period. So um, at one point, <clears throat> and this was before <clears throat> a few borrowers got liquidated, but our supply PY on ETH USCC with, um, 300 million of TBL on a test net was at four or 500% um, when there was a lot of liquidity being borrowed out. So um, I think uh, part of it was how we distributed tokens. And part of it was, you know, people being more excited to try out the borrowing side since the LP side is kind of similar to other AMMs, except the yield could be a little bit higher because of the borrowers. So <laughs> we were just surprised, I think, by how high the APYs were given the low volatility. Um, I think though, you know, like the way I see it is if you're selling volatility, you know, you don't win big, but you win often on average, you're profitable. And when you like buy volatility, when you use leverage on average, you know, you're probably going to lose, but when you win, you win big and you make a lot Mm -hmm. of money. And so we, we want to make sure that, you know, uh, there, there are those opportunities for people to win, win big on the other side. Um, it's obviously different than a perpetual feature in some ways. The leverage is not as high. So the max leverage would maybe like 100% price move is like 10 to 20x leverage. But the cool mm-hmm. thing is it's available on any token and uh, you can't get liquidated. Um, there's no liquidation price, so you can't get liquidated if the price moves against you. We want to make mm-hmm. sure that, yeah, borrowers have plenty of opportunities to make money. So that's why we're thinking of, yeah, changing (coughs) some of the, we don't want to make, I think like making pool creation and uh, that aspect, especially if we're focusing on retail needs to be super simple, but maybe for the more popular pools that are low volatility, because that's when we might want to change the factor, like lower the factor on the interest rate and lower those APYs um, is with, you know, like a larger blue chip pool or a project that has matured to a certain point. So I think the simplest way to do that moving forward would just be via governance. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, something we want to look at. And then, yeah, it just kind of brings into the question of what better DeFi models can be in the future. Because I think, you know, the interest rate models in DeFi aren't great. Um, They're all basically deterministic, not stochastic. And so there's always a dead weight spread that's not being captured on like TradeFi. So that's something we've been thinking about. Um, and then the other thing we've been thinking about too is 
you know, allowing people to, to easily create pools and LPs to easily provide liquidity, but also having, you know, some of those gains in capital efficiency and having, um, you know, uh, interest rate formulas that are appropriate for the, the volatility of those assets. Yeah, that makes sense. What about yourself, Jim? Has there, has there been anything that you've, you know, has came up in, in development that has pleasantly surprised you guys, or has there been any kind of revelations of additional use cases that you didn't initially think of, like you're starting to look at, look at a lot more um, seriously now, just kind of, you can kind of fill us in on that. That'd be great. Sure. So I would say like the initial um, like idea of Catalyst was a little bit more around um, like a unified liquidity layer for um, like basically like the, the DeFi program I was talking about, right? It's like a unified mm -hmm. liquidity layer for like all the major chains that we're interacting with. Um, and so like you know that that's kind of like a, a somewhat interesting um a somewhat interesting use case right you basically have this like um uh, like sharing liquidity um and um having you know the ability to do token swaps whether volatile or stable through like polygon and ethereum and, and avalanche and and uh optimism arbitrum etc cetera, etc cetera. um I think where we like kind of struck gold was actually like testing that idea in the ground. And we realized that like, um, you know, even though people say that the existing kind of experience of bridging assets and, and trading is, is, is kind of, um, cumbersome, um, there didn't really seem to be like a huge need, right. Uh, to like have another cross chain kind of, um, like value transfer mechanism between Ethereum and Polygon and all the different chains people had, right? There's like LiFi or Socket if you want to do aggregation or, you know, uh, at, at the very least you could do something like uh, Sushi X, which uses like Stargate underneath the hood in order to do like cross-chain token swaps. And so it was like a pretty crowded market, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think where we really struck gold is, is by kind of having conversations with people on the ground and, and seeing what the real problems were and it really was around like this idea of like, you know, app specific rollups or like the proliferation of rollups that we're seeing, right? Where it's like, okay, sure, like the the world right now has like ten chains, but um, I think that's going to you know drastically increase uh, in the near future. Um, and so in, in that kind of world, it becomes a lot more kind of. Um, pressing to kind of figure out this like fragment liquidity piece and this like inability to to kind of have DeFi protocols um you know kind of rapidly spread at the scale that was needed to 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 service this level of proliferation um and so that's where we kind of changed the the, the offering slightly um in order to you know build for for that specific use case right and so we're still offering the core DeFi protocol that's going to be on Ethereum and, and Polygon and, and, and Cosmos, et cetera. Um, but uh, with a more renewed and, and kind of more a tighter focus on like rollups, right? And so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of where we had to shift gears a little bit, uh, not necessarily a pivot, but shift slightly our strategic focus and our development uh, in order to focus on what was a clear need that we ultimately saw in the space. Yeah, if I could. Uh, 
Yeah, I go for just it. jump in with a question if that's cool. So I guess, Jim, like something that makes sense to me is, you know, being able to permissionlessly create a pool for two assets on the same chain, because yeah, th I guess there's a framework for that that already exists. In terms of like, let's say I'm creating a roll up on like Celestia, or maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not tapping into a shared messaging layer. I'm just creating my own chain off cause, uh, well, Cosmos has a shared messaging layer. Let's say I just created my own, you know, EVM chain, um, just, yeah, from the, from the base layer. Like how, I guess, how easy would it be for me to connect into, um, into Catalyst and maybe create like, you know, pool on ETH mainnet with ETH and, you know, the base token of, of my native chain? You gave me a pretty easy example, I would say. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Uh, no, no like uh, in all seriousness, like that—that that is like the happy path, um, and the kind of like the the most simple use case that we're trying to solve for, right? So, like uh, to answer your question, like more directly, like we want that to be as easy as it is to create, you know, a pool of two tokens in one chain. Right now, we're just trying to make it, you know, cross-chain and, and then multi-chain if, if you want to do more than two chains, right? Three, four, plus, what have you. Um, and so in the case of, like, you spinning up an EVM roll-up on, you know, whatever kind of, um, you know, platform that you ultimately use, you have a native token, and then you want to, you know, supply that against uh, USDC on, on Ethereum or uh, maybe you said ETH uh, on Ethereum mainnet. Um, that is, that's going to be incredibly easy. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, you have the ETH already on one side, or if you need some sort of price discovery slash liquidity bootstrapping mechanism, um, again, if it's, if it's priced towards your native token, there's a few levers that, that can be done or to supply the other side, uh, is kind of what I'm getting at. But, uh, that's a pretty, like, that's like a pretty common case that we're going to be building for and 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 it's going to be like i said like as incredibly easy it, it might even be uh, after it's all said and done easier than the existing experience for one chain right now yeah i mean i think that's really where catalyst has the opportunity to to crush it because i know you know a lot of these bridges they'll they'll add some chains but they're you know in a world where people are creating chains and for their app like dydx and doing that instantly and launching um it's not in that permission way it's not going to be able to support you know all those chains that could potentially come up or i know you guys have um the ability to create like your own liquidity invariant which is cool have you guys looked into like multi-asset pools as well or, or are you focusing initially with the two asset pools um we can do multi-asset it's it's more a matter of like what do the users want um but if there is a um a need for multi-asset we can certainly enable that i think like where that makes a lot of sense is if you want to kind of harmonize uh stable assets across different chains right so it's like uh stable coins or even like eth across different chains right um that i think that makes sense and that's something something that we can we can do um, and yeah. I think to add on to that, like, you know, I think what's really cool is once you kind of build this liquidity layer that can be tapped into, you can you can have kind of, um, you know, more complicated instruments on top of it, like, you know, being long or short vol and 
um, you know, contributing to to kind of the, the price action uh, as it moves cross chain. Yeah, I was thinking of like the the curve tri crypto pool. So yeah, that that's the example I was thinking of. Yeah, cool. or even if there's like a ETF kind of thing that's like a pool of like all the gas tokens of the chains you care about, like that's possible. That's that's super interesting. I was I was listening to something today about um, Unsheath. If on um, so they effectively liquid staking protocol, effectively their Unsheath token um, basically represents a, a basket of underlying. LSD is kind of like an index, but there, there's kind of rumors of those guys spinning up their own L2 as well. Um, so that plus Catalyst would be <laughs> would be something to kind of blow people's minds, I think. But I think you're also going to start seeing, um, definitely hearing some founders that we're talking to have got really interesting use cases and definite, definite product market fit looking at the whole, well, what happens if we just go and spin up our own um, app chain? I know there's a lot of kind of the OP stock and whatever arbitrums is used now. So I think what you were saying earlier, Jim, about there might be a handful or maybe two handfuls of chains that people are regularly using now, but I think it's going to quickly just go exponential with the, the different use cases. You've been seeing kind of elastic roll-ups and things like that where they can be spun up for a specific purpose and then kind of decommissioned shortly thereafter. So... I think you guys are in a really, really good position to capitalize on that. Yeah, it's something um, I think a lot of DAP developers would be willing to do if like creating a chain and um, being able to plug into to other chains was easier to do. Like it's something we've wanted to do at GammaSwap, but just the infrastructure that's out there right now. And, you know, with this first implementation, it would be, you know, adding more friction uh, than, than we would like, but it's something, you know, probably not soon, maybe in like the next few years, like we want to grow into. And I think as there's more infrastructure to plug in to, you know, other basically liquidity of other chains and easily create a chain, uh, we're going to see more developers do that. It's just, yeah, that, that infrastructure still needs to, to develop. Um, and luckily there's, yeah, projects like Catalyst tackling this. Yeah, because like I think at this point it's kind of like pretty easy to to make a, a blockchain um, like using some of these solutions, right? Um, like there's even things like Caldera, which is like you just click a button and, and you have a roll up. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think uh, I think a lot of the space is thinking about, you know. How do I make it easier and more configurable to make a roll up, right? How do I have like off chain DA? How do I have different virtual machines, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, but they don't realize that like it's kind of like the after blockchain creation um, kind of user experience that's incredibly lacking, right? It's like, okay, now you have a chain. Like, now what, right? Like, <laughs> okay, you have a native asset. Uh, what's the point of having a chain if it's just its own chain, right? Like, like for the, like what the, the example of, of, of like gamma swap it's like okay well we're just on our own island now and we're not really doing anything uh, and so we're trying to solve that issue we're like okay like let's actually like do something with this right there was like a there was a reason why we made this blockchains because it's like tailor made for like some specific use case that we had in mind right uh but you know that use case is only only good if it's able to actually interact with the rest of the blockchain ecosystem 
Mm. Yeah, exactly. So how, so how are you both thinking about each other's protocols through your own lens? Like how, how, how can that composability work from both your own perspectives? I don't know, Jim, you want to kind of start and then Devin can kind of give his, his opinion on how this kind of um, composability and collaboration and kind of um, overlays can, can effectively work. Yeah, so kind of what I was alluding to, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of course, like, uh, a huge proponent of building open permissionless systems. Um, I think the innovation that you have from from doing that is just like exponential. And, I've, you know, I kind of said what my main takeaway was from you know, experiencing DeFi summer and, and kind of like ultimately dedicating my career to, to move to, to Ethereum and then move to DeFi in order to kind of enable that vision. So still something that I, I believe really strongly into. Um, how we're doing that is essentially, of course, besides building like a open source, you know, protocol on a smart contract platform that anyone can plug into is, is, is essentially like we're, we're viewing Catalyst as, as kind of this base liquidity that allows for seamless value transfer and value connection between different chains. And so what kind of comes after that is, is more complicated kind of, you know, actions or instruments on top of that, right? So it's like from a financial lens, I said, you know, you can do a money market, like what you were, you were kind of talking about. Uh, you could do like, you know, lending or, or you know, um, yield aggregation or, or what have you, or, or you know, um, you could do, you know, vol products, perp products, options products, what have you. Um, I think, I think it's also interesting when you look at it from a non-DeFi lens, it's like, okay, like effectively what we're doing is like, we are allowing for a kind of cross-chain um, like action to be performed. And so you can start like abstracting and bundle, like start bundling transactions and you can start abstracting away the steps necessary to perform them. And so if one thing is like, okay, I need to top up my, you know, my, my borrow position so I don't get liquidated. Like, you know, you could do that and it doesn't have to be like a bridge fund. You know, it doesn't have to be like a two-step process, right? It's just like mm -hmm. a one-step process or it's like, okay, I want to go and leverage or I want to buy an NFT or I want to vote on this, this on-chain governance proposal. Like those can all be bundled together uh, atomically uh, through, through Catalyst. And so that's kind of like the next stage of what we're doing. It's like, okay, like people want to do like actions, right? So it's like, we'll just kind of, build these what we call like zaps in order to enable that. Um, and so that's kind of how we're viewing composability, basically. Um, and whether that's like us that does it or if it's like an, a, a community of builders that do it, um, we, uh, we, we'll kind of see after, after our initial launch. Yeah, I'll touch on that a little bit as well. So um, in terms of modularity, you know, we're we're not modular in the sense of catalysts in terms of being able to plug into, you know, various chains, but we are modular in the sense that um, we can work with multiple types of liquidity invariants. Um, the the order book based AMMs like UniV3 uh, is not something we're optimized for, but any full range, basically liquidity invariant, uh, GammaSwap can work with, you know, might not be optimal to trade stables, for example, unless you're like predicting a DPEG but definitely the, the volatile kind of full range liquidity pairs. And so <clears throat> I think there's, you know, potential for something like uh, GammaSwap to be available 
um, for Catalyst and something, you know, we're definitely interested in and plugging into, yeah, liquidity across these various chains that would open kind of new, um, yeah, opportunity for modularity for GammaSwap. And then just generally on composability, um, yeah, something, one of the reasons I talk about like the Curve V2 model and that type of concentrated liquidity is because I think composability is one of the most important things in DeFi, right? That's why, um, because we don't have like products like, you know, um, catalysts that are that enable like liquidity cross-chain, but also in a composable way, you know, we've seen a lot of friction that's happened in our chain. And also just generally, you know, with something like uh, V3, like the the GLP types of products, the, the curve types of products, there's a lot more of that TBL in those types of products that it's being rehypothecated in other protocols than kind of like these order book based AMM. So I think that's something, you know, we've been focused on. Uh, so we have these composable LP tokens, the CamelSwap LP tokens. They represent the LP token of the underlying AMM with the additional borrow fees. On the borrow side, that's an NFT, but um, I guess you could say that's less composable, but generally we've seen products wanting to compose into where the liquidity actually lies, not like the, the option or per positions. Um, for example, like GMX is a great example there. And I think um, another thing too is just, you know, finding innovations that actually weight a little bit more towards the liquidity providers and giving them basically these passive type of like LP products or risks that are just easier to understand. And I think that's why we've seen like the GLP products do, you know, better than some of these virtual AMMs because yeah, you don't have any impermanent loss. You're just, you gain if the traders, you know, lose out, which generally, you know, uh, we've seen in like trade <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's like 20% of perpetrators that are going to do really well and 80% that are negative and, that's just, that's how it is generally if you take leverage. So it makes sense. And the more leverage you take, the more it's um, skewed negatively. So yeah, I think that was a huge innovation is just finding this kind of new type of LP product that has risks that are easier for people to digest and passive. And so I think that's a huge part of um, building a product that's composable is not only having, you know, kind of composable tokens, um, and positions, but also, yeah, something that's, that's really easy for LPs to understand and also that they want to, you know, provide liquidity for the long term. And it's not just a short term thing, um, mm -hmm. because those, yeah, those risks are easy to understand. And, um, you know, generally, uh, that the edge is towards people who are kind of providing liquidity and selling volatility otherwise. Yeah. Cause if you have, you could you could overweight it to the people buying volatility or yeah taking that other position against liquidity providers but the thing is that like liquidity begets volume so if you're hampering mm -hmm. your liquidity you're going to have low volume less people are going to trade there the yields are going to go down less people are going to want to provide liquidity and then um, it's kind of this wheel so i think that's something in terms of like defi mechanism design people don't think about enough but the kind of like the, the, the most successful protocols I've seen have designed it in this way to be composable and to also, yeah, generally give the edge to the, to the LPs um, in some way, in some new innovative way.
Yeah, and like uh, I think like the I think what you said like the simplified kind of risk um, like risk pricing um, like protocol not protocol <clears throat> in this case but like mechanism that uh, can help kind of end users understand uh, kind of the the products that they're using and what's kind of the the uh, the risk slash reward. Uh, against it is really helpful, right? That's where that's where I think GLP uh, does does incredibly well, and I think that's what makes. I think that's like you know the the dawn of like a kind of like a newer um, kind of financial primitive that that can be leveraged in DeFi um, is like allowing like leveraging what what blockchain is really good for in creating products that weren't possible before and allowing you know, kind of that abstracted risk assessment for users so that they can just earn yield and, and feel comfortable with this, like, you know, more simplified product. Right. Mm. That's how, that's how we increase the usage of DeFi, right? We, we make this, we make this experience of being multi-chain, like easier for people to digest, not having to go through some of these painful bridging processes. And then also, yeah, to, to even add liquidity or participate in DeFi, making, making it so that the risks are, you know, easier to understand. Of course, you know, once there's liquidity and we're successful, institutions can come in with their own models or, you know, um, trade products that are kind of on the, the longer tail uh, that are maybe, you know, more complex or more capital efficient. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, generally in trade five, the most liquid products are the simplest to understand, right? Like, you know, bonds, ETFs. So, I think if we if we if we're most focused on increasing the amount of users in DeFi, then the simplest products are are what's going to do that. Um, and then I think once the once we can increase that, these other participants will will be more excited and we'll also see more traction uh, with them as well. Yeah, you use the the GLP example is a really interesting one because they could have. I know the GMX V2 is kind of on the horizon um, on testnet and things, but they could have delayed even longer if they wanted to, just basically off the sheer amount of protocols that were looking to build on top of that GLP product. Um, there must have been 10, 20, 30, if, if not more protocols looking to kind of, as you were quite rightly saying, just kind of simple, simple let down, create vaults around it. There was a couple of kind of pseudo delta neutral vaults on top of it. I don't know how well they worked, but there was definitely a demand for people to just kind of gain exposure and just earn yield without having to do like some of the underlying complexities or whatever was going on in the hood with, with that particular product. But the moat that they effectively built around such a great product was kind of enough to get them through any internal development, which is really, really interesting to see. And obviously they're going to go and do the V2 because they just have got a great team behind them. But it was, that was just kind of fascinating to see every every project on Arbitrum to kind of stay relevant was creating some GLP derivative or vault or kind of structured product on top of it just to kind of you know you see you know you know I was seeing everyone now have some pivot to AI everyone at some point in time was having a GLP product coming off the back of the GMX success so um yeah I completely agree with that was it really interesting to see. Yeah, we're we're pretty close to that team. So a couple of the the co-founders or core contributors uh, have invested in us and advised us. And the more 
it's it's been like great experience like chatting with them and thinking through kind of like yeah like these different mechanisms and also i think they're you know uh the thing about uh DeFi as well is targeting you know different like utilizations and different products in terms of your maturity and so i think they've done a, a few things well you know starting out with something like 80 percent utilization was a benchmark uh that we're kind of aiming for because that's uh you know that's a you're getting good utilization, you're getting good fees, but you also have enough liquidity where people can easily remove it or still open positions. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, starting out with higher fees, I think makes sense for protocols. You build up your treasury. You know, if you're doing something innovative, you're also going to be the first protocol doing that so you can charge higher. And then as the protocol matures, you know, lowering those fees, especially as you build out new products, because then you can still keep that revenue growing and you know grow and maintain that market share so i think there are a lot there are a lot of things that that they've done interesting and then there, there's also things you know they mentioned you know in hindsight maybe oh we could have you know done this better which i think everyone <laughs> kind of goes through <laughs> but it's also good to talk with other founders and learn oh okay like that's something we should like think about or watch out for mm-hmm. um just a couple of quite trending topics just kind of short fire answers, I suppose, just, um, and how you guys are personally thinking about them and how each protocol is kind of thinking about them. And if we could start with the liquid stake and derivatives market, obviously extremely hot at the minute, but I'd just love to hear maybe Jim first, how, how you guys are thinking about it. Is there any kind of overlap as much in detail or as little detail as you kind of want to go into with that and pass it on to Devin? And then there's a few other kind of areas of that kind of trending and particularly from our side that we're keeping a close eye on. I'd love to just kind of pick your brains on both of those, but if we could start with kind of liquid stake and derivatives and then move down the, down, down the list. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, like liquid staking derivatives and, and tokens are, are really kind of, um, popular these days. Um, and, and I think rightfully so, right. Um, uh, because it's like a, a way for us to, to access kind of, um, like liquidity and, and also yield. Uh, that is just inherent within the the blockchain systems that are that are uh, kind of running these applications. Um, how we kind of see it is 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 uh, two ways, and so the first way is getting access, uh, get getting these, getting users access to these liquid staking derivatives um, that reside natively in, in kind of other uh, other chains. And so one thing that uh, we're really keen on is working uh, within the Cosmos ecosystem and getting access to the various um, liquid staking derivatives for Atom um, and, uh, and kind of like disseminating it throughout uh, the wider blockchain ecosystem. Um, so that's kind of like one piece, right? So it's like getting folks that are mainly kind of like Ethereum users to get access to these kind of um, LSDs within the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, the other piece is... Um, you know, I, I think when you go down the rabbit hole of, of, of LSDs, like it gets quite uh, complicated uh, in the sense that like you're wrapping certain things, you have other kind of stake derivatives and uh, there's like various kind of permutations of them. You know, Frax kind of com- comes to example where you have like Frax ETH and you have like staked Frax ETH and, and everything. Um, our kind of thing is like uh, allowing uh, kind of a canonical kind of um, liquidity um, home for these uh, LSDs and kind of its, uh, you know, um, non-yield earnings slash native asset counterparts. 
Um, and so we're working with a number of teams in order to uh, kind of have those canonical pools so that they can be accessed through uh, any blockchain environment. And it becomes kind of like the home of if you want to like swap in and out of those those things. Nice. Yeah, Devin, Devin is there yeah. a, is there a home on GammaSwap? And how, how are you guys th kind of thinking about that? I suppose too closely related or should be pegged assets could be quite interesting, particularly during volatile times or if there's some kind of black swan event. No, for sure. Yeah, I think um, there are a couple ways, a few ways to think about this. I think the, the most obvious maybe uh, implementation for LSCs for GammaSwap is just hedging maybe that risk, uh, which, yeah, I think people some people want to do. But the way I think about, you know, protocols is how, like, not to get too nerdy, but like, how can we increase the sharp ratio, right? How can we increase the risk-adjusted returns? And you, you know, you people have different assessments of what they want to participate in, right? Like something like Curve that's mostly stables, you know, they um, the the yields are going to be lower, but you have a lot less risk. And then, yeah, if you're participating in the VE model, that's also a great way of getting extra rewards without taking on more volatility risk. And then there, are, you know, pools that are more volatile, especially on something like UniV3 that have higher APYs, but then you have higher, you have leverage and permanent loss essentially. So the real question is like, okay, how can we increase the risk adjusted returns? And yeah, a lot of, uh, on the Ethereum network, a lot of pairs are denominated ETH. And so I think once people become more comfortable with LSDs and, you know, more people are actually um, providing their ETH um, in these, these networks like Lido um, and yeah, the risks are, you know, the smart contract risks are lower just with, with Lindy. Um, we, we might see more pairs to nominate in that. And that's a way to, you have the additional smart contract risk, which I think will be lower over time, but you're also increasing the yield. So uh, I hope to see more pools, you know, denominated in, in liquid staking pairs um, because that that's kind of an easy way to, to increase that, that return um, for that risk. And, that's essentially what we're doing at GammaSwap, right? Like a lot of people think of us as a tool to reduce impermanent loss or remove it. Reduce is better, uh, but you can't remove impermanent loss. You can, but you can just expect to make like a risk-free rate yield. Like, I guess in it's not truly risk-free. You'd probably want, you know, to to delta hedge the cost of ETH, but something could be like liquid staking in. Um, in the Ethereum network as kind of the risk-free of blockchain. Really though, it's like um, like T-bills and bonds and stuff. And so, yeah, every when you take risks, that's how you can expect a higher return. So we're not trying to remove and permit loss, but we're trying to make it so that LPs are getting higher risk-adjusted returns because, yeah, when we looked at a lot of these LP pools, they were actually, you know, negative expected value or just not returning much for the risks that the LPs are taking. So that's what we're really focused on. I think LSDs are a really unique way to do that if more pairs were denominated in them. Mm. I'm glad you said that about the base pairs and I'm not going crazy because I've been sat thinking about this for such a long time. Um, starting to see it definitely happen. I think it'll be good from a speculator's perspective to kind of see who, I suppose, it, do you think it's a, a business development issue or a liquidity issue to who, who can get the most kind of base, like who, whose LSD is going to be the most predominant base power? And obviously you need stake and participation to increase, to enable that. But do you think that's a, 
a bit of a mix between BD and um, a liquidity issue to solve? Yeah, I, I think it's probably both. I think it's a, a trust thing. Like, you know, um, BRCs have kind of changed the game, but historically, you know, the Ethereum network had huge value accrual compared to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin, you know, is the first implementation, the most trusted. And yeah, if there's going to be a flippening, if, if at all, it's going to take a, a lot of time because of that trust. And I think, you know, um, trust takes a long time to build. Uh, I also think, yeah, just historically, because LSTs are so new, like people prefer holding ETH, uh, a good portion still, especially, you know, people who um, maybe have larger holdings and are, are afraid of some of that smart contract risk potentially. And so I, I think a lot of it's trust and a lot of it's, yeah, uh, some of it's going to be BD as well. That'll, that'll help, you know, we have like kind of like a curve of the growth based on trust and then BD might, you know, help us accelerate on that curve. But I think, yeah, a lot of it's just at, sometimes out of our control and it's just trust based on, based on Lindy, based on time. Awesome. Well, gents, I know we've kind of run over a little bit. I could have talked for another couple of hours though. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to kind of leave the audience with before we uh, jump off or where can, where can people find you both? Yeah. Um, so we have our white paper coming out uh, soon. Um, and uh, yeah, Tesla's going to be out in a month. So excited for that. Uh, if you guys want to follow more about Catalyst, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. It's uh, Catalyst AMM uh, on Twitter. So uh, yeah, feel free to stay posted. We got a lot of stuff coming uh, in the coming weeks. Awesome. I'll leave all that in the description as well. And uh, yeah, Devin, is, is everyone, do you just want everyone to be piling into Discord, Twitter? Yeah, that's definitely the best ways to stay up to date with us. Um, so yeah, follow us at Twitter, GammaSwap Labs, uh, our Discord link there. It's just discord.gg slash GammaSwap. And yeah, uh, similarly to Catalyst, we have some some upcoming uh, yeah uh, product announcements or product milestones. So the biggest one's going to be launching on Mainnet. Uh, really excited for that. Then um, going on a few other chains and then, yeah, launching kind of these these future iterations of, of GammaSwap, like GammaSwap V2 and uh, other products we have in mind, which will take more time, but also are upcoming. Awesome. Well, gents, thank you very much for joining us. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we get this out pretty quickly because there's a lot to unpack there. And um, if you need anything from us in the meantime, just, just shoot us a message. Always happy to help. And uh, yeah, best of luck with everything you got coming up. I'm excited to see it happen. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having, having us. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, thank you. All right. Take it easy.